It's good to be with you on this special Sunday. It's our privilege right now in our family's ministry to be traveling around the country, so it's always nice to be here for special gatherings of the body of Christ. And today's gathering reminds me of the year before my senior year in high school, and I found myself standing at 14,400 feet on top of Mount Harvard, right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. And I can still picture it today, being up at that height, seeing other mountain peaks below my feet, seeing the clouds all around us. And we were there with, I was there with nine other students from my class and two leaders as part of a leadership training cohort. And that we spent a lot of time that year both learning to be leaders ourselves, but also exercising leadership within our student body. And while we did a lot of things together as a group, nothing is more memorable to me than that moment where we were standing on top of that mountain together. It was a moment where we couldn't escape our own frailness. We couldn't escape our own finiteness. There on the clouds, on the top of the world, I think perhaps for the first time in my short life, in those 18 years, I saw myself with the right perspective. There's some texts in scripture, I personally believe, that are like that mountain. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. It's powerful. And yet there's some that stand out, some texts that stand out like a mountain. Because when you get up on them, you see things in such a way that your little life gets in the proper orientation. And we're going to look at one of those texts today. So if you have the Bible with you, your own copy of the scriptures, please open to Isaiah chapter 40. It's a longer chapter, but please stick with me as we read the entirety of it and then we'll look at selections from it. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from Yahweh's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of Yahweh blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord Yahweh comes with might, and his arm rules for him. 
Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of Yahweh or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from Yahweh. My right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for Yahweh shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Great God, we're here on this mountain. And yet our hearts would deceive us that other things are more important than what we can see up here. So would you open our eyes today in your mercy? Would you open our eyes to see more of you? Would you give us 
an enlarged heart to run in your ways. Would you lead us in your commandments as we come down from the mountain then, that we may follow the God that we see up here, follow him all the days, and say to the rest of the world, behold your God. Help us now as we look to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think you'd admit that we could spend days going through some of the powerful statements in that text. But we're going to just look at two sites today. We're coming up on a huge mountain. We're just going to stop and look at two little scenic overlooks. First, God's revelation of his greatness. And then God's training program. First, God's revelation of his greatness. One of the best questions we can ask, I think I've said this here before, whenever we read the Bible, one of the best questions we can ask is, what does this tell me about God? It's not the only question we ask when we read the Bible, but it is one of the first questions we should ask because it puts everything else in perspective, and it's a perspective that most of us so desperately need every day. Yet, for you graduates who have this book in your laps, J. Oswald Sanders cautions this. He says, quote, When we pray for a vision of God, what are we expecting? A glowing vision in the sky? A blinding flash of glory, such as that which overwhelmed Saul of Tarsus? A thrilling, overpowering sense of spiritual exaltation? A study of the visions of God recorded in Scripture gives quite a different picture. In not one case did the vision immediately result in elation and ecstasy. With absolute consistency, these visions produced in those who saw them a profound self-abasement. In every instance, the experience was awful, not ecstatic. And the more intense the vision, the more complete the prostration before God, end quote. And yet we increasingly live in a culture of triviality. Everything is awesome, smiley face emoji, right? <laughs> a culture of Instagram envy, where people, young people are going out and getting plastic surgery because they don't like how they look in selfies. We live in a culture of colossal debt just to keep up certain appearances, to have that certain house, that certain car, that certain clothing item that's going to project the image we want people to see and think about us. We're far from the kind of self-abasement that Sanders was talking about when people have really seen a compelling vision of God. And yet what does this prophet Isaiah paint for us in this vision? Over two millennia ago, Okay, so he, he didn't know about our culture, but he writes this vision of God over two millennia, and yet it's incredibly relevant for us today. He starts out by describing a tectonic upheaval in verse 3. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at verse 3. It says, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Why? Why is the earth going to be moved like this? And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, because the mouth of Yahweh is spoken. You know, as we drove up here from Texas, we had to drive through Kentucky, and this time we decided to go one of the more scenic routes. So we were driving through western Kentucky, 
And I don't know what the kids were doing in the back or what my wife was looking at, but we came over one bend and we dipped down into a valley and I saw we were coming up to one of these hills, these Kentucky hills that they have there. And as we came up out of the valley, I saw that they had cut into the hillside so that our road could go basically through this hill. And as we drove through, there was at least 60 or 70 feet of rock in terraced levels cut into the side of this hill that we were driving through. And yet when God comes, he doesn't have to cut holes in mountains. He just levels them. There's no valleys for him to have to go down to get there. Everything's going to be a flat highway. Nothing will get in the way of everyone seeing the glory of God. So when God wants to show himself, when God can just take everything and wipe it flat so that everyone sees his glory, what does he want us to see? I'm going to have to limit us again to what we can look at this morning, but maybe you'll go back to this text and ask God to show you more. But first, I think this morning we see that our God is immense. Our God is immense. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? People of St. John's, who can reach down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, 36,000 feet down, so deep that we could submerge Mount Everest in it, and there would still be a mile more from tip to the surface of the ocean. And that's just a sliver, just a sliver of the Pacific Ocean. Who can hold all those waters in the hollow of his hand? All 187 quintillion gallons of the Pacific. That's 187 with 18 zeros. Nearly half the salt water on the planet. But don't worry, he can hold all of it. He can hold it all. All the oceans, all the lakes, all the streams, all the underground unseen aquifers that you and I will never know about. And he's got plenty of room to spare in his hands. Our God is immense. Verse 12. Who has marked off the heavens with a span between his fingers? We live in this thin little layer of atmosphere called the troposphere. It's about 4 to 12 miles thick. Above that's the stratosphere. It goes up to about 30 miles, the realm of clouds and jetliners. Then there's the mesosphere above that. It's more of a mysterious layer, about 20 miles thick, where the temperatures go down to negative 130 degrees Fahrenheit. And then finally above that is the thermosphere, about 50 to 300 miles above the surface, and the temperatures there soar to over 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's the little blanket that God has created to wrap our planet so that we can actually live. Without that blanket, there would be no life here. It's very perilous for us to travel through, as you've seen in all the space movies. But outside of that blanket, we can't survive without specialized equipment. God marks off the heavens between his fingers, and we inhabit a little slice. Our God is immense. Time does not permit me to tell about the 14,000-foot mountains that he just puts in a scale, like it says in verse 12, or how the compendium of human knowledge looks like a little USB flash drive to him, verse 13, or how the quandaries of human justice appear like a playground squabble to him, verse 14, or how he counts the estimated 7 quintillion 500 quadrillion grains of sand on the earth, and how he names the 70,000 million, million, million 
stars. Verse 15. Needless to conclude, our God is immense. But he's not just really big, like a big oaf in the sky. Our God is sovereign. Economists predict that this year the gross world product will reach approximately $88 trillion. Each year our world grows about 2.5 billion tons of grain, produces about 150 million tons of textiles, builds roughly 70 million automobiles, and in 2018 over 1.2 million building permits were granted for new construction projects just in the United States alone. Think about all that busy work that goes on on our planet every day, and you and I participate in that. All those areas that we just mentioned were only a few, farming, manufacturing, construction. Who controls all this activity? Verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket compared to our sovereign God. All of that's like a drop from a bucket. Our God is sovereign. Today, nearly 28 million military personnel stand ready at arms around the world. And yet scientists estimate that it would only take about 100 of the 15,000 nuclear warheads to cause a catastrophic end to human life as we know it. All the nations are as nothing before God. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Verse 17. Yahweh reigns. Let the nations tremble. Psalm 99.1. It's not nuclear holocaust is imminent, therefore let us tremble. Yahweh reigns. Let the nations tremble. Our God is in the heavens. All that he desires, he does. Psalm 115.3. Who will say to him, what are you doing? Job 9.12. Our God is sovereign over all. Over all governments. Over all industry. Over all nature. From the massive hurricanes down to the microscopic killer viruses. God reigns and who can stop him. Our God is sovereign. But our God is also creator. April 10, 2019, scientists released the first ever image of a black hole. That was just a few months ago. It's 6.5 billion times the size of our sun, 55 million light years away from Earth. And journalists help us remember what a black hole is. A black hole is a region of space so dense and compact that it creates a gravitational pull from which matter and not even light can escape. To capture this image required synchronizing radio telescopes from different continents all over the world, and all they were able to produce is a a fuzzy image. But it it was a piece of evidence that the black hole actually is there. It's, It's a remarkable piece of human achievement. Mankind doing what his creator does in looking out and inventing and creating things. But I think we'd be remiss if we only stopped marveling at what people were able to do taking this picture. I mean, after all, it's been thousands of years and all we've been able to do is take a picture of one. Just take a picture of it. And we almost know nothing about these galactic giants. Yet supposedly black holes exist at the center of each of the 100 billion galaxies throughout the observable universe, which God created in a moment by a word. And we can take a picture of it. What kind of mind does he possess? 
What kind of power are we dealing with? Verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Our God is creator. As we study these galactic giants, we also go deeper and deeper into our world, right around us, from cells and molecules to atoms. Now we're talking about quarks and leptons. I remember as a high school student going over to Fermilab near my house, and we would study this new thing that they were looking at, some, these subatomic particles called quarks and leptons. We're still not to the bottom, is what they tell us. But it's not just these building blocks that we're discovering. We're discovering how they're all put together. That there's architecture that goes into these things. That the same components can forge a crystal clear diamond in the heart of the earth. And blue whales are born in the heart of the sea. Away from where any of us can see it. It should blow our minds that most of us this morning consumed some brown liquid. We drank it with relish, did we not? It started as a seed that grew into a tree which produced lots of seeds because we like those, so we need many of them. And then this was harvested. You can call them beans if you want to. They were processed, shipped, roasted to your delight, ground and brewed for your satisfaction. And yet most of you probably put some kind of French vanilla creamer in them. I'm sorry for you. (laughs) The growing location, the environment... And all these different factors can produce a panoply of distinctive tastes in all of these little seeds. And that cup of coffee is a miracle of God's creative genius. Not just that the beans can taste these ways, but that he gave you a tongue in there that can tell the difference between all these different tastes. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Verse 28. God is unimaginably great. God is unstoppable in his power to reign. God is unfathomably wonderful in his creative power. And this is what he wants us to see about himself. And he said, remember how we started, all flesh will see his glory. He's going to make sure of it. It's not a question of, will I face this vision of God? It's a question of, when will I reckon with this God? The New Testament proclaims in Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's coming. Sure as the sun rises, will you reckon with this Jesus now? Now while he stands with his arms of mercy open and says, Come, behold me. Come into my embrace. Come as a sheep to his shepherd. Are you going to wait till he comes back as a king? With his iron scepter, ready to rule calling all the military might of the nations a drop from a bucket. Are you going to wait to deal with him then? Or is today the day that you'll reckon with this vision of God? Reckon with him now. Our text is saying, behold your God. May he be your God. When the risen Christ appears in heaven, this is how creatures talk about him. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. These are how created things talk to this great creator. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain to purchase people from every people group on the planet. He paid with his innocent blood for the horrendous rebellions of humans like you and me. He did it in order to redeem his own creation, to take it back, to make it something new, to show that nothing is beyond his power. You can't rebel and run away far enough. God can get you even there. Or perhaps, as the rapper theologian propaganda says, see, there's no rewind, only redeem. And brother, he's shown me the promised land and its beautiful scenery. You've been made alive. But if you're like me, you think God's probably only tolerating you. Ain't you tired of running? Like one more failure and the father pushes the eject button. But there's no rewind, only redeem. Grab your buckets and draw from this stream the mountain-sized pile of putrid mess you done made, things you can't change, only redeem. I've reminded my soul, this ain't your home no more. I was never made to crave the dust of this earth. There's no rewind, only redeem. All of heaven's praising a king who ransomed people from their futile ways who can take their pile of putrid mess and redeem it and make them a kingdom and priests to his God so that they can go out to the nations then and say, behold your God. That's the kind of God that we serve. And I invite you this morning, behold him, embrace him, run to him. Whether you've never done it before or whether this morning you realize, I've been on top of Mount Harvard staring at my cell phone. And you need to open your eyes. He invites you. Now what inspired Isaiah to write down this massive vision? What prompted such an awe-inspiring piece of scripture? It's a problem that everyone in this room faces. It really is. A problem you graduates will face over this summer and into the coming years. It's the question of significance. Look at verse 27 with me. Verse 27 in the text. This is what prompted Isaiah to give us this passage of scripture. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from Yahweh, and my right is disregarded by my God? Does God even know what's going on with me? Does God even care about the pain I'm experiencing right now? If God even knows, can he even do anything about it? You mean that God who holds the oceans in his hands? The one who measures the sky that keeps us alive just with his fingers? The God who counts all the collective labor in the world, says it's just a drop from a bucket. The God who rules over the might of the nations like they're a bunch of grasshoppers. The God who spoke and created incomprehensible black holes that we can just barely take pictures of. The God who builds the marvels of creation from these minute building blocks that we're still finding out about. Is it that God? Is that the one we're asking this to? Does God know me? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. 
He doesn't faint or get weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall fall utterly exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I love that verse. That's been my life verse for as long as I can remember the idea of a life verse. And yet, do you understand it now in the context of this passage? Have you not known what kind of God it is that can do this? Graduates, people of God, when challenges arise in the coming days, when opposition pushes back, makes you want to give up, makes you want to just take the easy out. When you're struggling to make sense of life and your calling, go up on the mountain again. Remember your smallness. Recall his greatness. Refresh the vision. And then put your hope in him. In the storms and difficulties of life and the challenges that the sovereign God causes you to encounter, he will bring challenges your way. He's doing more than you can imagine. This isn't, a, this isn't just something for graduates. We all face these challenges. God brings them our way for a reason. This is God's training ground. Most of my life, I've always been athletic and enjoyed running. I, I mostly rode the bench on the soccer team and these sorts of things. I, w- I wasn't that great, but I always enjoyed running. But a few years ago, I transitioned over to strength training. And being my nerdy self, the first thing I did was go out and buy a book. And in the book... I studied up to learn how to get strong. And what I learned from that experience is that in order to get stronger, our bodies need to be exposed to incrementally greater levels of stress. It needs to adapt to that. We need to rest. And then we need to give it even more stress so that it gets stronger and used to it. Well, my first day in the gym, I felt rather awkward. I didn't really know what to do with that large iron bar. I didn't really even know how much it weighed. I had to ask somebody. But after a while, I got to learn my way around. In my first few days, I could only pick about 100 pounds up off the floor. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. I was pretty sore the next few days. I didn't know if I really wanted to go back. Maybe I should just put on my shoes and go run some more. But two days later, I showed up at the gym again and put five pounds on that I hadn't had on last time. Two days later, I showed up, put five pounds more on. And a few years later, I'm getting close to 500 pounds. It's possible. It really is. But let me tell you, there's a lot of days I didn't want to go. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's painful. Some days I just out and out failed. And it's embarrassing to fail when you have 300 pounds on your back and you fall and it makes a loud crash and everybody looks and laughs at you. They want to make sure you're okay first, but (laughs) after that it's pretty embarrassing. I had to learn to embrace that hardship if I wanted to get stronger. I had to learn to enjoy facing a challenge. I had to learn to get stronger. And it didn't just happen in a book. It happened in the gym where things got harder and harder and harder. And graduates, you can ask many of the gray heads in this room and you'll hear stories of the challenges in their lives that made them stronger, that made them better. And it was a vision of God in the deepest challenges of the soul. It's the vision of God that gets us through the creator of the ends of the earth. And remember this, the creator doesn't make us stronger by making life easy. 
We don't get stronger by God making things easy for us. He makes us stronger by taking us through challenges and teaching us that in those challenges we have to look to him, to hope in him, and then run in the strength that he alone can provide. So as we come down from this mountain today, I hope you'll remember what you've seen. I hope you'll know there's a lot more to see up on the mountain. Come on up regularly. Find other places like this in scripture. Find other great chapters like Romans chapter 8. Go ahead and just memorize it. The Sermon on the Mount. Ingest it. There's so many that you can go to. And ask yourself regularly, what does this teach me about my God? Instead of wallowing in the sty of my own personal significance. Learn to embrace hardship as the wise plan of a loving creator that wants to make you stronger, more useful for his kingdom. We live in a world that's going to attempt to teach you to make more of yourself, to follow your heart, discover who you are, chart your own path. Or in the words of a recent graduation speech I heard, quote, your perspective is unique. It's important and it counts. Try not to compare it with anyone else. Accept it, believe in it, nurture it. End quote. Such comments might be well-intentioned. I, I think they, genu- they genuinely want to say something well to people. But things like that can lead you astray. Life is about God, not about your perspective. The universe is about declaring his glory. You were made to declare his glory. And anything that's unique in you or your perspective or what God's going to do with you in the future says 10 thousand times more about the God who made you than about you. Be happy in that. Be happy in pointing people to the God that makes you so happy. His plan to reveal himself to all flesh is unstoppable. So when you're tempted to forget about this mountain, you're tempted to get your significance from a glowing piece of glass, three by five in your hand. Remember, all flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of Yahweh blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God declares without apology that all life is about God. He's the blazing center. And when you get your little life in orbit around the blazing center, you find your joy, your purpose, and your hope. So hope in Jesus Christ, graduates. Hope in the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not fail you. Let's pray. God, you are unstoppable. You are immense in your greatness beyond what our minds can fathom. You are sovereign, ruling over this planet as though it were a busy little anthill, and yet you control it all, from the smallest molecules to the greatest stars in the universe. And you are the creator, and you've called to us. You said, behold me, come, be one of my sheep. I pray today, if there's anyone here who has not embraced you as their shepherd, that they would do so that they would behold you, they would run to you. May it happen even today. And God, for those of us here that are so distracted, I put myself in that group, that we get so distracted, we forget this vision from the mountaintop. Remind us 
in your mercy, remind us because the world needs to hear and see about you. So as we go from this place, God, I ask that you would refresh this vision regularly in our hearts and that we would be your people in the world this week. Through Christ we pray.